Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fundamentals Podcast. It's Jack Proctor back once again. I apologize. I had to miss my first ever episode of the Fundamentals uh, last time. I'm sure it was probably your favorite episode uh, when I wasn't here, but I'm so happy, so happy to be back uh, with the co-host who has not missed a show yet, and that is the Reverend Jeffrey Tucker. Jeff, how you doing, man? You're batting a thousand while I'm falling short. I know. I'm, I'm doing well. I uh, had a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, Jack, I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. You know, there were real discussions about do we even bring Jack back? Is it necessary? <laughs> Is it wanted? But we're glad you're back, Jacko. Glad we get to talk about the Bible some more. Um, I, I'm going to do a little introduction here. So last week we talked about a lot of things and Jamie took us through some good theology about um, kind of the kingdom of Israel and like the the scope of their history and what they got wrong and what God is doing in the midst of that. And we talked about Ezra one and and this idea of a new Exodus and how there's like this hopeful anticipation of what's going to happen. And by the end of Ezra Nehemiah, we realize that's not going to take place. So when we get to chapter two, the inherent problem with a chapter like chapter two is that there's a bunch of names and numbers and people that we don't really know. And Jack and I aren't knowledgeable enough to tell you why each and every one of these names is important, uh, but they are important. So we're going to talk more generally uh, broad scope, uh, what this text symbolizes for the people of Israel, for our understanding of this scripture Uh, It's going to be a shorter podcast, but uh, we're not going to read through every list of names, frankly, because uh, there will be a lot of mispronunciation and uh, (laughs) some struggles. So we're going to do this more broadly, uh, but we hope you enjoy the podcast. It'll be a little quicker. So uh, I say we just get started. Yeah. And I think it's fun to kind of tackle this sort of text uh, just because so many times in my personal life, like reading growing up, I'd read something like that. I'd read every word knowing that it was divinely inspired for me to have. And I'd read it and be like, all right. I, okay. I don't really know what I'm getting out of that. And it'll be kind of fun to take it in a, a little bit more of a broad sense to, to really, truly understand a little bit more. So thanks for that, uh, Jeff. And uh, let's do the first uh, two verses here. Uh, so now these were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried captive to Babylonia. They returned to Jerusalem and Judea, each to his own town. They came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Rileah, Mordecai, Bashan, Misper, Bigvi, uh, Rehum, and Benah. The, the number yeah. of the men of the people of Israel. Yeah, so this is uh, when it says the people of the province who came out of captivity. This is either referring to the people of this new province of the Persian Empire, Judea, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't really think that's what it's saying. Um, Or it's referring to the people who came out of specifically the province of Babylonia, which we know Cyrus conquered, and then he made his decree that they could return to the Holy Land. So I think this is saying the people from specifically the province of Babylonia, who were the exiles that were sent there by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, these are the folks returning to the Holy Land. And you get this name, Zerubbabel, um, in the previous chapter, we had a guy named Sheshbazar, who was indicated as a leader of the people. And we had a brief discussion, I think, about, are, is this the same person? What's the difference between these two guys? Um, Sheshbazar is mentioned as a prince of Judah. Zerubbabel, we know, is a descendant of David. So I'm 
I'm assuming that we can take these two names, Shesh Bazaar and Zerubbabel, as interchangeable names for the same person. Uh, but this is like a, I guess you could call it like a governor of the province mm -hmm. in which they're returning to. I don't know if there's like a specific title that works well, but uh, he is kind of the political leader of the returning people. And then the second name you get is Jeshua, which is the name Joshua, which is the name mm -hmm. Jesus. It's all the same. Uh, but he's mentioned in other passage of scripture. I think it's, uh, uh, I can't actually remember Habakkuk maybe, but, um, he is serving as the high priest at this time. So there's a, like a political leader, Zerubbabel, and then there's a religious cultic leader, uh, Jeshua. And, um, so you have those two spheres. The, the other names that you probably recognize are Nehemiah. It's not the Nehemiah, who is coming later in the book of Nehemiah, different guy, just the same name. And Mordecai from Esther, also not that Mordecai, just a, you know what, there's a, a handful of names that are very popular amongst Jewish peoples, and those are just a few of them. Well, you are the only Jeff that I know. There's not another pastor. Jeff. Right. right. But, um, and then you get, and I'll, I'll kind of tee us off here, you get these numbers of the people uh, a lot of names, a, a lot of different numbers. Um, I'm interested to know, Jack, what do you think that, like, what's the, what's the overarching point of a list like this, given the context of where Ezra and Nehemiah falls in the passage of scripture? Uh, I mean, to be honest, this is kind of something that I've always struggled a little bit with of, of having a full understanding of all, all these kind of numbers. To me, as I kind of read it and go through it, on a quicker sense, I mean, to me, it brings a little bit of the scale uh, of kind of the, the movement, just the different kind of people. It's not always a small uh, one family type of deal. Uh, and it's kind of their, their return back to setting up what they had. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good way to think about it. I, you know, we could try to get into the hobby of parsing out every name and every number and then you get all sorts of weird practices where people try to make meaning out of every single number listed or, mm -hmm. or every name listed. But I don't, I don't really think that's the most important thing that this passage would do, even if that were possible to, to take mm -hmm. every name and it means something in particular. I, I think really what this is saying is that there really was, as God promised, judgment, right? Exile mm -hmm. came, which God promised. And that was carried out in its fullest, but God also promised in the prophets that there would be a remnant that returned, that there would be a group that he preserved in the exile that would return to the Holy Land and they would rebuild. So this is, uh, this is demonstrating that throughout this time, there's a, a Jewish remnant that uh, still holds their history sacred mm -hmm. enough that they would return to this promised land. The, the relationships are sacred. The familial lines are sacred. And uh, this is the remnant that God had always, always promised would return. And so they kept the hope uh, even in the time of exile. So mm -hmm. God still has, and this is the, the greater theological point, in my opinion, God still has a, a very specific, unique purpose for Israel. So the, the promises from before, the covenants from before, whether it's the promise to Abraham or the covenant through Moses or the Davidic covenant, those are not going, those haven't gone away just because the people went into exile. God still has unique purposes for the historic people of Israel as they become a means by which the whole world will be blessed. Hmm. So, and then 
The other interesting thing about this list is you get a pretty similar list in Nehemiah with some discrepancies. And, and these peoples that are returning, like we talked about before, they'll have strife with the uh, at least some ethnic Jews that are still in the land, which Jamie and I talked about uh, quite a bit a couple weeks ago. And so um, this preservation of uh, ethnic heritage and familial heritage will actually cause some problems mm. and will actually lead to um, corruption, right? We'll see, it will be the, the descendants of some of these people who go back, who uh, take over duty of the temple. Uh, and eventually that turns into a, an institution that is uh, inherently corrupt, that takes advantage of the people, uh, that puts all sorts of obstacles in the way of worship. Uh, that's not happening here, but the, this is kind of uh, inevitably some of these names listed, you could trace and, and you would see that this is kind of, even though these people are returning, some of them won't return with the right reasons. Hmm. Okay. What else should we cover? Uh, so one thing I did notice was there's a, a list. If we go back to 36, it says the priests, the sons of uh, Jediah of the house of Jeshua, uh, 973, the sons of Immer, uh, 1,052 sons of Pasher, uh, 1,247, the sons of Haram, 1017. So uh, pretty good numbers, right? A good number of priestly types returning. And, it, and you have to wonder like um, priestly from, uh, from what heritage, you know what I mean? Because in 40, you get the mention of whom? Uh, the Levites. Mm-hmm. And the Levites did what? They were the, the priestly. They were, yeah, they were the mm -hmm. priestly, the, the cultic leaders of yeah. Israel. So you have the Levites, the sons of Jeshua and Cadmiel, of the mm -hmm. sons of Hodaviah, 74. And, and the numbers here, 74, 128, 139, that's significantly less than the priest section we just saw before. Yeah. So something has changed in the time that the kingdom split and Assyria conquered and Babylon conquered in the time of exile that this uh, Levitical group, this Levitical priesthood is just not as significant uh, in the regular worship exercises of the people of Israel that there's so few Levites actually returning to carry out their temple duty. It's important that they return because that's their, mm -hmm. that's their uh, birthright, essentially. Um, but something... There's something uh, weird about the discrepancy between the two numbers, and I would be interested to do more research about what that means. Yeah, that, that's really cool. I, it's something that, I mean, as you you take the pause that you did and had us look at that, it becomes really interesting really quick. But as I read through this, I mean, I tried not to read to it too fast, but clearly I did because that did not even connect with me, that that stark difference. Um, and I, I mean, I, I'm pretty curious, too, as to, I mean... Was that a good thing? Did other people step up because there were not enough of the Levites there doing their thing? Or was this an issue of um, others serving roles that they were not intended to? I, I mean, I don't know. That's all just kind of things popping in my head right now. But I, I think that's that's pretty cool. Again, I read through a list like this because I just assume I'm not smart enough to get anything out of it um, instead of pausing and, and really giving it a chance to kind of settle and see because that is a pretty pretty large difference. Yeah, and I don't. I really don't know 
what it all means. Um, but it was at least important enough to list. So there's something mm -hmm. to be understood or to help uh, put things together that we'll just have to do more research on. But overall, I'm, I, I don't have any intention of going through the next, you know, 30 verses or so yeah. where we left off. Oh, yeah, I definitely think it, and I was looking towards the end, and unless you had something specific you wanted to, to say about the ending verses there in the 60s. No, it, but the but the overarching uh, importance seems to be religious, right? This is, yeah. it's the priests, it's the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants. There's a lot of uh, religious emphasis here. And uh, the whole assembly together is 42,000 and change. And, uh -huh. and that's not an insignificant number. But like I said a couple of weeks ago, talking to Jamie, there's much more than 42,000 Jewish peoples living in the world at this time. Yeah. But, but really only a fraction of them decide to return, to return back to the yeah. Holy Land. Well, what do you make of the 435 camels? I think that's really the, the theological. Yeah, there's some rich uh, theological <laughs> symbolism there. Uh, no, I don't. I don't have anything. But no. but there but no. there was uh, care taken by some kind of scribe to make a note of. Here's everything we've got that's coming back uh, to rebuild. Um, yeah, and, they, and, think, and it's not a lot. I mean, it's really not. I, it, that's, a, that's a cool point to make too, just because as you think that, yeah, it's a fraction of really what probably should have been returning at that time, and. Even still, like kind of looking at that, that next part there, the heads of the family, some of the heads of the families when they came to the house of the Lord, made free will offerings, things that they chose to do, uh, gave according to their ability. I mean, again, you see that religious significance. Those that did come back had this understanding that this is what God is doing. This is kind of bigger than bigger than us and putting the focus there rather than just kind of escaping for themselves. Yep. Yeah, and, they'll, and they will slowly rebuild from... Uh, what God gives back to them. Uh, but it's, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's like uh, starting over with this preserved remnant um, of faithful people that God is going to use. Uh, and they'll have problems and they'll get things wrong, which we will see plenty in these upcoming chapters. But this text is really like most texts of scripture is about God's faithfulness to keep his promises that, um, yeah, you guys mess things up. Uh, there's a, a punishment and a judgment coming. Uh, but even then, I, I'm not done with you. I will use you for my purposes, uh, which I think is cool. Mm -hmm. And you see just all, all of that number, 42,360 and the servants and all those kind of things were counted. We're all important and valued, as you said, to be to be marked down. So it's just kind of taking note as we kind of come back in our own way from like COVID as people are still starting to come back to churches and figuring out communities and stuff again. Um, every single one of those 42,000 were important. Every single member of our church, our visitors, those in our communities are important. And we need to kind of value that individual. I think yeah. that I'm getting well, and, as I'm looking at the care here. Yeah. And how the chapter ends, I, I kind of touched on this before, but the idea that they are uh, returning to the Holy city, uh, but that the temple is such a, worship is such an important part of this. It goes to show that these are people who were um, called out of the world, right? They're God's special portion. Mm -hmm. and, and such a huge defining part of their identity is that they worship the one true God. It's not about the, the 
political power that they'll achieve, which, which they get so confused, right? Which is why when Jesus comes as the Messiah and he's not the kind of political, it, Jesus was political, at least to some degree, but he wasn't political in the way they wanted him to be. They're, they're so disappointed, but, um, but really their first calling is to be people of God, to worship the one true God. And, and the fact that this is all about uh, the temple and temple servants and priests and Levites and, and people making their free will offerings when they come back to the Holy city just goes to show that uh, Israel's first identity and our own first identity is not as um, political peoples mm. or, or even ethnic groups or familial groups. It, it, we are people uh, called even in the midst of our other callings to, to family and to nationalities we are called to be um, God's people and God's people are made to worship God, right. To give reverence to him. Yeah. So there's a, not um, as much as you would hope, but kind of a reconstituting of religious identity that will be really, really important for uh, Israel going forward. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you, uh, Jeff, for leading us through this, this chapter. Of course, again, we use the ESV translation. And I encourage all of you to read over this chapter of Ezra 2. Uh, even again, as, as some of the things may seem challenging, it's still God's word. It's good for us to, to go through. And thank you, Jeff, for the different things that you pointed out to me and to others as we kind of uh, get a lot out of something that is uh, perhaps pretty confusing uh, on the on the outside. But Yeah, I would, I would encourage everyone to read every word of each verse in this chapter, uh, Jack and I did that. Um, mm-hmm. and we were able to talk about a little bit of it, but who's to say that you won't, I mean, God will meet you in the midst yeah. of your reading. He, he promises to do that. So, um, I would encourage everyone to, uh, thoroughly read through this chapter. Yep. Fantastic. But thank you all for joining us here. We'll continue in the book of Ezra. I intend to be on the remainder of podcasts and let that one off, uh, episode of me not being here, but it's, it's great to be back. And, and thank you, Jeff. And thank you all for listening. And uh, until next time, God bless.